Whether you're looking to buy your first home or get into a neighborhood that better suits your lifestyle, the stories of how difficult it is to find an available house, let alone one that's affordable, have become commonplace. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we talk with UNLV professor of economics and real estate, Nicholas Irwin. We asked Dr. Irwin to give us an overview of the current housing market, how corporations and Californians are still playing the spoiler, and if there's any hope on the horizon that people can find a house they love and buy it in our city. It's Wednesday, January 24th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Professor Nicholas Irwin, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Thank you for having me, sir. How are you? Uh, doing good. Uh, watching the newspaper accounts of our housing market, and I got to tell you, it always seems like they're saying it's a buyer's market or it's a seller's market. Uh, is that all the options we have? And which one is it now in Las Vegas? It's a it's a market. We'll give it that. It's a it's <laughs> yeah. a very it's a confusing market right now. It really mm. is. It's one of the worst housing markets we've had since two thousand eight. Um, a lot of reasons for that. Wor- worse for who? Is it is it worse for buyers? Worse for sellers? Or worse for everybody involved? Well, it does depend on uh, d- depends on your, your sort of seat there. If you're trying to sell a house, it's definitely a seller's market because we have a very low inventory, so that could be good for sellers. You could potentially get a higher price. The houses that do sell are transacting fairly quickly. The mm. problem is, if you sell a house here and you want to buy another one, then you run into some issues with those high interest mm. rates. It's really pinching a lot of people. And it's causing a lot of uh, what we would say maybe a misallocation of housing. A lot of people are stuck in houses they may want to get out of, but they don't want to give up that great interest rate they may have. Yeah. So I, I guess uh, I know the answer, but I'm wondering what the ranking would be. So if you gave us a ranking from one to 10, 10 being the best time to buy, where does Las Vegas house buying rate right now? It's it's not great. To give you an idea of how bad it is, I mean, last year we sold just over 29,000 houses in the entire Las Vegas Valley. The two years before, we sold 35,000 and 50,000 in 2021. The hmm. closest we've ever come to that is 2008, where we sold 28,600 houses. Right. And I think a lot of people remember 2008. We were just kind of coming out of something pretty bad. We were. Just, we yeah. were. So let's let's give that number. Is it a one? Is it a two? It's, it's very low. I, I'm an economist. So, you know, Hard numbers are, are always tough for us, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's a one or two. It's pretty tough, wow. depending on your financial position, of course. Yeah. Oh well, that always is the case, and you know where we look at wages and whether or not they're rising or not. I, I wonder what the most important factors are in determining for any individual whether it is a good time to buy. Just generally speaking. Well, it's if you find that dream house or that house you've always been looking for, and if you can weather this period of high interest rates. Because based on what the Fed has done, it looks like interest rates are not going to, shouldn't increase anymore. Fingers crossed we don't have some other global factor that can cause them to. We're anticipating a drop in the interest rates, the, fe- the federal funds rate to drop some, some amount, sort of an unknown. With that dropping, it means interest rates will drop. But of course, if you can weather that a little bit and refinance down the road in six months, a year, two years, and rates come back down, perhaps it could be the right time. 
It's just the issue is, do you have that big down payment, which is always the hardest issue for a lot of people. And generally speaking, I did some research. It looks like 20% is the traditional down payment, although that can vary. And, and what would make it vary? And is 20% did I did I do my research right? That's perfect research. Yeah, that's that's the magic number we're all getting for. But you know, twenty percent is a lot of money. I mean, yeah. Say you're looking at a house that's five hundred thousand dollars. That's twenty percent down is a hundred thousand dollars, and not a lot of folks have a hundred thousand dollars just sitting in their bank account. They can easily burn like that. So a yeah. lot of people are taking those mortgages where you may have less. You put in less than twenty percent down, maybe ten percent or five percent, depending on which loans you're qualified for. Um, that means that you're paying what's called PMI on it, it's private mortgage insurance, and you're going to continue to pay that every month. It's additional payment on top, but basically that protects the lender until you get to at least 80% of a loan-to-value ratio. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. That that may be very enticing to people, but it could burn them, uh, I would imagine, as well. And when you talked about the interest rate, I, I think a lot of people have their eye on that, the common rate that people can get their mortgages at, which is set essentially by the, the Federal Reserve. Yeah, it's, it's based on mm-hmm. that, that how easy it is to, trans, to, to, to borrow money. To give you an idea, if you don't mind indulging me for a second here, some numbers for us to think about. So let's assume we have that $500,000 mortgage and we're putting 20% down, which again is a tall order, to a well-qualified buyer. What we mean by that is you have a good credit history, good payments, you don't have a bankruptcy in your past. With a cur- the current mortgage rates right now, a 7% interest, that's about $2,661 a month just for principal and interest alone. That's wow. not covering your homeowner's insurance. That's not covering HOA dues. That's not covering um, any property taxes. Day-to-day expenses and utilities. Exactly. Yeah, and taxes. Wow. So back just a couple years ago, when that four, if we had a 4% interest rate, which is about the average of what we had from 2010 to 2009, where we all got really comfortable with what the housing market was doing. Your principal and interest there is $1,909. That's $752 difference. Yeah. Big difference. Well, maybe you could help me make some sense of some of the, the headlines that we're seeing in our local papers. Sure. Late last year, late 2023, the Review Journal reported that uh, Southern Nevada was on track to have the worst year in sales since that 2008 recession. So right away, what are the things that you as an economist look at that um, explains why we might be looking at our worst sales year ever for houses. Uh, yeah, we, we were dealt with uh, a couple factors here. First, it's, it's a bad year, of course, but there's always some demand because there are always people who need to move into town who want to purchase a house. Um, mm-hmm. But we were plagued from really low inventory the entire time. There weren't a lot of houses to be sold. Uh, and those that were on the market may not have been the most ideal houses. They may not have been as, as, as many offers. A lot of this is driven by people from out of state or from not just California, but from any other high-income states coming in. Because imagine if you sell a house in California that's an okay house in Los Angeles County, you cash out $750,000, you can walk in and buy a very nice house here. But the people you're competing with are those local buyers. And we are, compared to most places in California, we are generally have lower income per capita than those areas. So our, on average, you know, home buyers have a little bit less money and are more reliant on financing. Well, if yeah. you're a home seller, you have the option to take financing that you could possibly fall through on the buyer side. Or if someone comes to you with an all-cash offer, it's really tough to, to overlook that all-cash offer. Yeah. A lot of my friends who have been looking for a home in my neighborhood or elsewhere are ruining that they keep getting outfoxed by the cash, full cash buyers, right? Yep. That, that they just can't compete because 
they're not as desirable uh, a candidate to buy the person's house, even if they're longtime locals and would do great in the neighborhood and really invested and are going to use it for themselves and not flip it, God forbid, they're struggling. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. And that's it's and it's tough because if you if you're from the buyer's perspective, obviously you're really frustrated with it. But if you look on the other side from the seller's perspective, they just want to maximize their return. And even if you offer above market and if you're relying on financing, there's a lot of points in that process and that housing transaction that things can go wrong and the seller then has to go back on the market. Whereas with cash, cash is king. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas' most talked-about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part the net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. Now, you mentioned inventory being fairly low right now in the Valley, uh, although I'm sure you see exactly what I see. There does seem to be construction in all corners of the community, or at least, uh, you know, the Southwest, Northwest. I, I, I do see that construction. Uh, it looks like houses are going up. So what's going on? No, that, that's true. We do. We are. We're a building, but we have a couple issues now facing that. It's that it's more expensive to build houses just because the cost of borrowing money of, of acquiring capital is so, so expensive now. So if you're from a developer's perspective, they are building maybe houses that are geared. I know live down in Henderson. I look up on, I believe it's Black Mountain, and you see all these, you know, one acre lots with these big giant mansions up there. Those are yeah. still being built. The high income houses are still being built. It's the houses for people who are middle, moderate to you know, upper middle income, those kind of houses. The starter homes of the past aren't being built as often. So the houses oh, that are being built are nice, but they're not they're gonna address like our needs for, for affordable housing. I, I think it's pretty common uh, that part of the American dream, at least in the past, has been to get that first home. And I'm wondering if there is a, a different sort of calculus for first-time home buyers versus people just looking to move or upgrade or something like that. There is. It's in, I mean, it's always the American dream. But one of the most important things about purchasing a house is it's one of the best ways to provide for intergenerational wealth, passing wealth down to your kids. Now, the issue is... Some of those houses and some of those those houses that our parents had back, you know, when we were growing up, those are houses that may not be built anymore. Those are the sort of starter homes, and those starter homes of the past, you know, maybe twelve hundred square feet instead of instead of two thousand square feet. These aren't being built at the same rate. So a lot of those first time home buyers have to look at buying houses that are probably bigger than they need at the time, because it's mm. just so hard to sort of move in and out of the type of houses you need as your family grows or as, or as your your family 
circumstances change. Um, it's it's a really difficult thing to think about how do we provide the right incentives to get first-time home buyers the support they need, um, while also making sure that we are building the wide variety of different types of houses that we need. What advice would you give to a first-time home buyer before they pull that trigger to think about? I, I would look and see, based on your income, what do you qualify for, especially here in Southern Nevada and, and the state of Nevada as a whole. There are some programs available to you, especially if you are working, for example, if you're working in Clark County Schools, if you're working in education, there are programs that will provide help you with that first down payment. Additionally, you may qualify, depending if, you, if you've served uh, our country, if you're a veteran, you can qualify for loans through them that can usually provide you a much better rate than on the open market. Same thing with if you have you know moderate income, lower to moderate income, you can qualify for FHA loans. And those are all things that can help you. Pros and cons with using all those programs as well. But if you're looking to get in the house and you need a little bit extra help, make sure you're looking around at those folks that can help you. A good qualified realtor is always helpful, but doing your own research and coming up, being prepared and knowing, looking out for your best interests is always the best thing we can do. Any different advice for someone who's already in a home who's looking to move uh, either up, over, or maybe a little more modestly? Yeah. Um, be prepared to, to have to settle. That's always the thing. We always kind of want that perfect house. And sometimes you have to settle and make the little trade-offs. And especially in a market where we don't have a lot of options, you have to make that trade-off. Unless you're operating, I'm speaking towards someone who may be doing well, but I'm, you know... Anyone make if you're making a million dollars a year, I mean you're you're operating in a whole other stratosphere. So, you know, God bless. Buy buy whatever house you need. But but for most of us, it's right. It's tough. It's tough to look in. It's because you don't qualify for those first time home buyer credits. You have to worry depending on how recently you're trying to buy or you're trying to sell your current house, if you're gonna get capital gains tax on that. There's a lot yeah. of things you have to look out for. Yeah. Uh you know, one other thing that I see pretty widely reported now is that uh, this new generation, because we talked about providing some generational wealth to be passed on, et cetera, is that um, millennials are less interested in home buying than previous generations. So I'm wondering, just in a market like we have right now in Southern Nevada, how how do renters fare? Well, that's a really that's a really great question. As an elder millennial, I think I can speak to this a little bit. It, this is something that comes up. I teach a class in urban regional economics. We talk a lot about housing markets and why people choose to rent versus why two people choose to own. And there are a lot of things mm -hmm. that factor into that. Renting does relieve a lot of burdens of maintenance. Ownership is always you know a, a great thing as well, but it's not for everyone. One of the things that renters in the valley do benefit from is there are a lot of companies building a lot of apartments in a lot of different areas. So you have a lot of options and you get a lot of nice amenities. For example, if you want a pool, but you don't want to have to manage that pool in your backyard, have the pool people come over, keep it clean, treat it, all the thing you have to do, you know, you can get a pool, you move into a complex that has a pool. You'll you'll pay right. slightly more for that. But of course, that's, you know, all the different trade-offs we make to sort of figure out where's the best place for us in our, our current situation. So renters are doing okay. We have a lot of multifamily homes or, you know, apartments, condos that are coming online that are helping bring down rents from where they were, especially, you know, into 2020, into 2021, when rents really took off. Yeah, kind of in an unprecedented Vegas way, because for, you know, going back to the beginning of time in Las Vegas, we really did benefit from having uh, what, from our perspective, seemed to be some of the lower rents, especially when you had people coming from other places, their 
you know, eyes would blink a million times and they would shake their heads like, I can't believe you guys are still paying $700 a month for rent. Of course, those days are gone. But I think you're right that the explosion of rent, I, I hear this complaint in the last five years more than I've ever heard it growing up here in Las Vegas through the 70s and 80s and 90s. No one ever used to complain the rent was too high. But now, I mean, people are paying two, three grand for places. So what, what's going on there? I mean, is it really an okay okay time for renters? Is are, are those rents actually coming down from what you're seeing? They're coming down from the peak. Now, the extent to which they're ever going to come down, that's the thing with, with prices. We like for them going up uh, at a predictable amount. Inflation is a natural process. We don't want deflation to happen where prices do come down or price levels do come down because then we get into a lot of trouble, economically speaking. People then delay purchases and it creates what we call a deflation spiral and it could basically wreck an entire economy, which is something we want to try to avoid. We, we don't really want to wreck our yeah. economy. But yeah, no, that's a good call. <laughs> generally, you know, good, good, good philosophy there. Let's not tank everything. We, we've, especially in this town, we've learned what happens. You, you kind of raise an interesting point. It kind of depends on what your circumstances are if you're renting. Are you a single person or maybe it's just you and a roommate or you, you and a partner? Uh, or do you have a family? Because there's a lot of different options that are available. We are seeing a lot of not only, you know, local development companies building these new big, you know, nice apartments. Um, we are seeing a lot more corporate landlords coming in and buying single family homes and turning those into mm. rentals, which can yeah. be good. Depending on which is all depends on where you're sitting at. It can be good for renters because then you have a bigger inventory. The more the supply of units, the more the prices can fall can decrease. Because as supply constraints, prices go up. As supply increases, prices should go down. However, if we look at what happens on the the owner mark ownership market, all those houses are being subtracted away from the potential houses that people could buy. So it's good for could be good for renters, but we have a spillover effect where it's then bad for 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 buyers in the future because now there are fewer houses and they're competing against those same entities that are paying all cash. And it really does raise the question uh, about corporate buyers and how they're affecting our economy. So tell me what you know the folks over at UNLV's Lead Center for Real Estate are thinking about corporate buyers in our economy. This is something that we are thinking about about what's happening and how big because we've heard the stories that these corporate owners are coming in buying up entire neighborhoods. But those are all anecdotes. Of course, the plural of many anecdotes are anecdata, so that builds something. But uh, some of the folks mm -hmm. uh, over at the, our, our lead center of real estate, especially Sean McCoy, our director, uh, have really looked into what's happening here. And he released a, a white paper towards the end of last year, which found that about 15% of the single family homes in town are owned by corporate owners. Um, and these aren't necessarily like big you know, Wall Street investment companies. These could... Although they are there too. I mean, we've seen those headlines that some hedge funds are scooping up property in our community. No, that's true. And, and um, it, it all depends on sort of how you want to think about investors. We're thinking of it in terms of people who bought more than 10 houses in the past, in the past which are probably people who are investors. So mm -hmm. you have the small kind of mom and pop investment groups who we may broadly, generally people would probably be broadly supportive if someone wants to be like a, you know, a small scale investor. Um, because at least they're still part of the community. But if you have these big, you know, absent corporations that are buying these houses, obviously we're going to respond differently. Well, let's get let's get into maybe something a little bit more personal. Do you have, you know, as an economist looking at all this stuff and knowing the data you know and knowing the data you don't know, what what's your personal experience been with our housing market? I've been a part of a few housing transactions in my time here. I recently sold a house, um, my first house I bought when I moved into the Valley. Uh, and we were faced with the same issues that a lot of sellers are faced with. We had a couple 
out-of-state all-cash buyers, uh, and we had one local in-state uh, uh, buyer, and there were a lot of things that we weighed on, but we went with a person who was local because we knew we were right down the street from a school. Yay! Well, I mean, uh-huh. it's, at the end of the day, it's still. I mean, I'm going to just say, God yeah. bless you. You're doing you're doing the Lord's work, well, it's, sir. You, you turned down maybe more money or an easier pathway for somebody who you felt would be better suited. Is, is that well, what I'm hearing? I mean, from yeah, you? there are a lot of factors obviously go into a decision like that. But it's a nice neighborhood okay. right next to an early nice school where my kids would walk to school, and then this person's family could then walk to school and right next to some parks and. I figure they're more likely to to get the enjoyment out of this and, and keep it in. Uh, um, so, of course, I'm I, I have uh, you know idiosyncratic preferences when it comes to the decisions I make, and not everyone make that decision. But um, I, I've heard from a lot a lot of folks though that it's it, it's it's tough to to look down as all cash offers, and then it's it's tough on the other end as well to, to turn them down. I know one thing yeah. that is particular interest of mine in an area of research that. That I'm interested in is the idea of housing affordability and how we're doing. And we're our folks at the, the, the lead center for real estate are working closely with Clark County to sort of understand some of these housing affordability issues. But if I could give you sort of a scope of like, we all know we're facing housing affordability, but maybe we don't know how extreme it is. So we have hmm. a deficit, according to the National Low Income Housing Coalition, who are the absolute experts on this. We have we're about 100,000 housing units short of where we need to be in Clark County. And this is for people who are houses that are 50% of what we call area median income. That would be a household income of about mm-hmm. $66,000. We're 100,000 units short of what's needed to provide affordable housing to those people. Yeah. And we know about that shortage because we see it repeated every year when they do these surveys at Las Vegas, always comes out either at the very top or near the top of lacking that affordable housing stock. So I'm going to transport you to the future Nicholas Irwin is December 31st, 2024. You're looking back at the year in the housing market in Las Vegas. What is the uh, the brief headline? I can't believe the Detroit Lions won the Super Bowl. That's my first headline. And what is the housing headline? I, housing prices will rise by a little bit. The supply. I think our number of transactions will go up. We'll get some new units online. But housing's still going to be unaffordable for some people. And we're still not going to make a big dent in that. So much of this depends on what's going to happen to those interest rates. It's it's we we just don't know. Yeah. There's such a wide range of, of variance for what people are predicting for those interest rates. Super long headline, but I'm absolutely going to take it. Nicholas Irwin, thank you so much for coming on CityCast Las Vegas. Really enjoyed the conversation. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Uh, always appreciate it. Always love to talk housing. And that's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, hey, go tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. Actually, when you buy that new house, the first thing you should do when you get that Wi-Fi hooked up, subscribe to that morning newsletter. Trust me on that one. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Till then, stay lucky. <laughs>